Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Yes, we made it to the end of another week together. We have two good martinis for you also, as well as a crazy and potentially bad third martini. But uh, we'll get to that in due time. Jim, our good martini today is that Michael Avenatti is headed to prison because he's a criminal. Uh, Politico, Michael Avenatti, the brash California lawyer who once represented Stormy Daniels in lawsuits against President Trump, was sentenced Thursday to two and a half years in prison for trying to extort up to $25 million from Nike by threatening the company with bad publicity. Avenatti, 50, was convicted of charges including attempted extortion and honest services fraud in connection with his representation of a Los Angeles youth basketball organizer who got upset that Nike had ended its league sponsorship. So, uh, Jim... Avenatti is uh, not probably getting the amount of media attention we would have expected uh, when we saw stories a couple days ago that the sentencing was coming up on Thursday. Uh, there were even some media outlets who said California lawyer who opposed Trump uh, faces sentencing as a, as if they're trying to distance themselves from the love fest that they had for this guy. Uh, when he was uh, representing Stormy Daniels in her suits against President Trump. Here's just a couple, and there are many, but here's just a couple of ways that the media love this guy. Uh, perhaps most uh, insane, Ana Navarro on The View. Lately to me, you're like the Holy Spirit. You are all places at all times, right? I mean, you, I, I do. I see you all over cable news. I see you. You know, there is a, a, a seat available if you want to be a co-host at The View. You might, you know, there's people here you can pitch. So, yeah, anytime you're comparing a political figure with the Holy Spirit, uh, yeah, go, go back and do some serious, serious reflection. Uh, also, of course, one of our favorites, Brian Stelter, taking him seriously as a potential 2020 presidential candidate. One reason why I'm taking you seriously as a contender is because of your presence on cable news. So, Jim, now the left, uh, at least on some level, trying to memory hole this guy or create some distance. Stormy Daniels with a statement saying that she was another victim of Avenatti's, that he just basically used her. So what do we make of the fact that this guy uh, is, at least on paper, headed to prison for the next two and a half years? Well, let's let's marvel at the fact that Avenatti was convinced that, you know, remember Avenatti, you know, talked about being a presidential candidate, but he believed because of Stormy Daniels, he was going to send Trump to jail. Oh, right? yeah. He was oh, the yeah. crusader. He was coming for Trump. And now he's in jail himself. And in fact, whether or not you think of Donald Trump as a good guy, Donald Trump is not a convicted felon. Donald Trump has not been caught attempting to extort millions of dollars out of Nike. I, I guess there are a lot of people who would like to forget about Michael Avenatti. And I generally would think that's a good uh, instinct for all of us that, that this was never a guy as important as he believed he was and that he represented this short term, uh, you almost would say, you know, like temporary insanity, but I'm not sure they're that much saner now than they were then. But this this bizarre <laughs> love fest of cable news bookers, particularly at NBC and particularly at uh, at CNN, who just put him on the air all the time. It seemed like he must be sleeping on the green room couch because he just never seemed to go home. And he was there every, and in the end, like of all, you know, again, the Trump presidency, or at least the first term of it is done. And as you look back at the, you know, four intense, chaotic, uh, endlessly dramatic circus, unpredictable, erratic, you know, crazy stuff happened in the Trump presidency. If you say Stormy Daniels, 
I think a lot of people are like, wait, oh, her. <laughs> I'm not sure Stormy Daniels cracks the top 10 or top 20. Ask a Trump hater what, you know, about it. They probably wouldn't even list the story. Like, you know, it was tawdry. It was, it was, you know, very unsavory. It certainly didn't suggest very well. But in the end, you know, he paid Michael Cohen money and he didn't treat it as a campaign expense. That's like the least bad thing Trump may have done that day. That's that's really not a... And yet for a while there, pre-Ukraine, pre-COVID, pre-January 6th, before any of that, this was like what people thought, aha, this is what we're going to impeach Donald Trump on. This is the smoking gun. This, you know, and you may remember that any Leibovitz glamour shot uh, Vanity Fair coverage of Avenatti and, uh, and Stormy Daniels. And it just was this bizarre obsession. I am sure the, you know, porn star connected to, press, like, yeah, okay, that's always going to get a certain amount of, media attention but there was just this you know insistence that a guy who um i mean if you if you were writing a, a screenplay or a novel and you said and then the you know weaselly ambulance chasing shyster lawyer comes in michael avenatti is exactly the guy you'd cast he <laughs> looked what he like he was and everybody see it was like the emperor's new clothes everybody kind of seemed to think oh no this guy is a great legal mind. He is a major, you know, factor in the fact. And all of a sudden, he started giving speeches in New Hampshire. He gave speeches in Iowa. He, ironically, for a guy who detested Trump, was taking the Trump path to political fame by being on television a lot. It's not like Michael Avenatti had, you know, passed laws or served in a legislature or, you know, served in the military, did anything notable like that. No, he was just on television a lot. And he kept saying he was going to put Donald Trump in jail which did not come to pass. So I'm, you know, I'm, there's a lot of this martini that is good riddance. And I, I do think there's an appropriate irony to this that um, Donald Trump, yeah, there were a lot of people around him who were not good folks. Michael Cohen, uh, Omarosa, you know, every uh, uh, bottom feeding, you know, uh, grifter came along and tried to cash in on the Trump train, jump on the Trump train and figure out how to get as much cash out of it as possible. But I do think there's a similar effect that happened on the other side, including most of the resistance, social media, crazy conspiracy theorists, Twitter, you know, celebrity types. And Avenatti may have been the worst of them. And the fact that he ended up in jail, I think is a, uh, it should be a kind of a good cautionary note probably to everybody across the political spectrum. But yeah, I'm looking particularly at you guys, Trump haters, um, who kind of, you know, basically ended up having the exact same phenomenon of putting faith in a guy and just celebrating him beyond um, uh, beyond any reasonable uh, explanation, every bit as bad as everybody at One American Network or Newsmax or anybody else did. I, I, there's a great irony of how much everybody who hates Trump is a bizarre mirror image of all the people who love Trump. And it kind of seems like you know, this, the, the, the degree to which everybody's like, the other great joy of this is that nobody wants to associate with Michael Avenatti right now, which probably should tell him something about what was really at the heart of all of his short-lived fame and adoration. Oh, yeah. The second you're a liability in politics, everyone's going to forget that they ever knew you. But uh, the internet lives forever. Here's the other thing, though. Michael Avenatti was really bad at his job. Remember, Stormy Daniels ended up paying Trump money. And then, of course, what the left may also really hate him for is how he tried to uh, pile on the whole Brett Kavanaugh thing by talking uh, Julie Swetnick and the supposed gang rapes at parties and spiking the punch and so forth. He kind of did us a favor. Yeah, he, he, he did Christine Blasey Ford and other Democrats no favors 
by putting forth such a spectacularly uncredible witness with not particularly believable stories. Look, I, I think one of the you know, you know more significant questions that come out of this is that for everybody who's uh, really passionate about politics, how many times do you need to get smacked in the face with a wet fish before you start to realize maybe this person hates the person I hate, therefore they are good. You know, how many times do you have to get suckered by that until you start to learn and say, hey, maybe I need more criteria. Maybe I need to know more about someone before I put faith in them. And maybe you're kind of chuckling, oh, those silly progressives. I just have two names for you, folks. Lynn Wood and Sidney Powell. In the end, they're, none of them are all that different, I would argue. But uh, that's another conversation for another time. Maybe we just all need more sleep so we think better and clearly about these people. So... Go to MyPillow and get some good Giza Dream Sheets. Look, MyPillow makes great pillows. I talk about them all the time, but they do more than just the pillows. Now they give that same expert detailed attention to their Giza Dream Sheets. And I love these things. Uh, Sleep on them all the time. Super soft. The cotton is excellent. I get a very restful night's sleep. For a limited time, you can get two sets of Giza Dream Sheets for one low price plus free shipping. Imagine sliding into the most comfortable sheets you will ever own, guaranteed. They're made from the world's best cotton, grown only in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. Its long staple cotton makes it ultra soft and breathable. It's available in a variety of colors and sizes. It's machine washable, it has a 60-day money-back guarantee, and a one-year limited warranty. So visit MyPillow.com and use the promo code MARTINI at checkout or call 800-874-0104 for two sets of Giza Dream Sheets for one low price plus free shipping. Again, that's two sets of the Giza Dream Sheets for one low price plus free shipping with the promo code MARTINI at MyPillow.com or when you call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com or call 800-874-0104. All right, on to the second good martini now, Jim. And this is good because it's been kind of a rough week for Terry McAuliffe, the former governor of Virginia who wants to be the governor again as uh, Governor Blackface. Ralph Northam gets ready to exit after his one-term limit uh, in early 2022. McAuliffe has already won the Democratic nomination, but he's in a surprisingly tight race with Republican nominee Glenn Youngkin. Most of the polls show it within the margin of error, which is probably not where McAuliffe thought this would be. Earlier this week on the 4th of July, he put out a uh, social media video with him in an American flag shirt and a grill that was not on, mind you, uh, stuffed to the gills with uh, just burgers, 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 and dogs all over the place. But it was clear that it wasn't on, and people who know what they're doing when it comes to grilling say it was a completely unrealistic setup. Uh, then uh, today, uh, Donald Trump releases a statement about how he's uh, you know, supportive of Glenn Youngkin. So, of course... Uh, McAuliffe and all the Democrats jump on and talk about how Youngkin's just a, a Trump toady and he's just, you know, you vote for him, you're you're getting a Trump guy in office. The Virginia Republican Party, not necessarily always the shrewdest of political operatives, puts out a great tweet today. It says, hypocrite Terry McAuliffe wants to distract from his failed record as governor and his new extremist liberal stances. And then it says, two-faced Terry sure seemed okay with Donald Trump when he begged him for a $25,000 campaign donation. And then there's the embrace. And there's a picture of McAuliffe hugging Donald Trump back before he was anathema to the Democrats because he was donating to a lot of them uh, back before he became a political figure on the Republican side. So, Jim, uh, this is pretty much going to be the McAuliffe argument the rest of the campaign is that Glenn Youngkin equals Donald Trump, so you clearly can't vote for him. 
Uh, so what do you make of uh, the Virginia Republican Party pushing back saying, oh, yeah, he's so bad. You took his money. You know, Greg, there is I'm going to list four facts that are absolutely true and indisputable about Terry McAuliffe. <laughs> the first is that, indeed, he did accept twenty five thousand dollars from Trump in his first campaign for governor. Virginia is really not big on campaign donation limits, you may have noticed. Uh, so that's why it's a significant sum. You can't even say, oh, he maxed out at 2300 or whatever the federal uh, uh, limit is right now. Secondly, he called him a friend. Now, this was early in Trump's presidency, but and McAuliffe was giving a speech, but he, you know, he did use that term. And the third thing is that he is, uh, Terry McAuliffe repeatedly insisted the presidential election was stolen Okay, it was 2000. He was insisting that Al Gore legitimately won, not that Trump. But his, you know, but that's he's using the exact same argument that the Trump was. Oh, oh, the vote count was skewed, and they suppressed our vote, and our ballots weren't counted, and they exaggerate, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then finally, the fourth thing is we have this picture of the hug. Now, if you are a competent Republican Party or you're a competent conservative group. You now have four very useful pieces of information. And in fact, three useful pieces of information and a photo of Terry McAuliffe hugging the man that my neighbors here in Northern Virginia utterly detest with the passion of a thousand sons going supernova. If you can't take this and turn that into a mailer, <laughs> and remember, you don't have to convince these people to vote for Craig Youngkin. Don't say anything about Craig Youngkin, although Craig Youngkin has said- Glenn, Glenn. Glenn, but Craig too. I have a reader named Craig. I have a couple of readers named Youngkin. So, you know, Glenn Youngkin. Youngkin, that guy. All you need is to you know just get people to not see him as that bad, as not somebody they need to go out and vote against, and just get all of these good, sensible soccer moms who are who used to be kind of moderate and who back in 2009, a good chunk of them voted for uh, uh, Bob McDonald. Heck, that year, a good chunk of them voted for uh, Ken Cuccinelli. Ken Cuccinelli gets in like 48, 49% of the vote here in, in Fairfax County. If you don't just carpet bomb Fairfax County, Loudoun, Arlington, Alexandria, and again, you're not going to win these places. You just want to get one of these in every mailbox. And maybe you get, if you got enough money, do TV time between now and the fall. And you just associate Terry, you, you could do a hypocrisy theme, but I don't even think you need to do that. Just associate Terry McAuliffe collected, you know, accepted $25,000 from Donald Trump, called him a friend, and he questioned the results of the presidential election. Don't say which year. It's accurate. Or a presidential. <laughs> just, you know, just, just do that and put that out there. And enough liberal Democrats will either say, oh, my God, I didn't know Terry McAuliffe was a Trumper. I'm not voting for him. Some of them will do that. But I think what's more likely is a bunch of them will say, I can't vote for that guy. Come on. God, he's so, you know, like now, now, Trump caused the insurrection. Trump is the root of all evil. I can't vote for a guy who was soft on Trump. I don't care if it was a long time ago. I'm staying home this year or I'm not voting or, or you know, maybe I'll find some third party candidate or something like that. That's all you need to do because, you know, the polling is looking not so bad for young kid. Not great. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a guarantee Republicans going to win this year, but the stars are starting to align. Democrats are just not that fired up. Terry McAuliffe is definitely not going to get the progressives all that excited. Yeah, he's a, you know, he's a, he's a former incumbent. You know, he's been in office before. People feel like it wasn't that bad. But this is not a guy that people see as a, you know, principled, inspirational leader or anything like that. Oh, and the other thing is that while you're doing this, you probably should overlap and target Virginia African-Americans touting his endorsement by Governor Northam. Except you don't use a current photo of Northam. 
you use the yearbook <laughs> photo in which he's labeled as Coon Man. And then maybe you do another photo of the, the of the clan who have not. So, but the thing is, you do all this and it's, you know, it's Virginians for a better Virginia or something like that. You don't say this is by the Virginia Republican Party. All right. And you put this out there and you just see what happens. Just see what happens. And just see if come November, Democratic turnout didn't quite get to where the party was hoping. And nobody can quite understand why there was this strange lack of enthusiasm for Terry McAuliffe. I like that strategy. I like that strategy. I forgot to mention Doug Wilder, uh, the former uh, African-American governor of Virginia, who refuses to endorse McAuliffe, even though he did it eight years ago. Uh, And of course, he's not very happy with uh, Ralph Northam either. So, Jim, yeah, that strategy on top of, uh, you know, parents who are absolutely pulling their hair out over Northern Virginia schools, it might be a pretty good one-two combo. I think the schools is clearly... The, the number one issue up here still, but uh, you give people a, a couple of different reasons to severely depress their enthusiasm for McAuliffe and you never know what's going to happen. And to say nothing else, Youngkin could call up, you know, Doug Weiler and say, hey, what do you think I should do as governor? Just see what happens. Court that endorsement, you know, and obviously you, you put it, you know, right early, in, you know, early enough in the process so that it sticks in everybody's mind. I don't know, you know, you don't want to wait too long, but you do give, do something to put McAuliffe on the defensive, shake up the race right towards the end. That is how you build momentum heading into election day. Yeah, it helps to frame the discussion because I don't know how many people actually listen to Doug Wilder or care what he says or whether his opinion matters in their opinion. But uh, if you can get what he says to change the discussion, and like you said, put McAuliffe on the defensive, that can be, that can be a lot of fun. All right, you know what's not fun though? HR issues that drag down your business. In fact, sometimes they can actually crush your business. Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, ugh. and HR manager salaries, they're not cheap. They can cost you about $70,000 a year a lot of times, but Bambi can help a lot. It's spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, and it was created specifically to help small businesses. You can get a dedicated HR manager craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. And from onboarding to terminations, they customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day. Again, all for just $99 a month. And this is month-to-month, no hidden fees, cancel anytime. You did not start that business because you wanted to spend all your time on HR compliance. So let Bambi help and get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash martini right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash martini. Spelled BAM to the B-E-E dot com slash martini. All right, Jim, I don't know how much of an art connoisseur you are, but a uh, very famous artist is about to put several of his outstanding works up for sale in a range, though, between $75,000 and $500,000. So that's well out of my price range, but uh, they're also abstract paintings. The artist is Hunter Biden. Yeah, Hunter Biden turned to art shortly after uh, his father's inauguration, and he's already uh, created enough uh, works here to start selling them for exorbitant sums. But as the Washington Free Beacon is reporting today, the White House is negotiating a deal that would shield the identities of anyone who purchases Hunter Biden's artwork due to concerns the transparency would reduce interest from potential buyers, according to the Washington Post. Uh, the Free Beacon reported that government watchdogs have noted that foreign nationals or lobbyists could buy the high-priced art 
in order to gain influence with the White House and have urged the Biden administration to publicly release the names of any buyers. But under an agreement that White House officials negotiated with Hunter Biden's art dealer, the names of buyers and bidders will be kept confidential, even from the artist himself, in an attempt to avoid ethical issues that could arise, according to the Washington Post. So, uh, Jim, this is uh, obviously insane. Um, I mean, some people have an appreciation for abstract art and good for them. I don't know what Hunter Biden's artwork looks like, but I can certainly imagine a lot of people trying to gobble it up to gain influence. And if no one allegedly knows who it is, I think that actually makes it more suspicious, not less. But what do you think? One of the things that's intriguing about this is how much Hunter Biden, if you're getting the ludicrous uh, uh, you know, book deal on top of the you know serving on the Ukrainian natural gas company, all, all of these uh, uh, situations in which he appeared to be cashing in on the family name, which, oh, by the way, is not just something he's done. His uncle uh, has done all that stuff. But uh, you know, this is part of a continuing pattern. Every time this issue is raised, Joe Biden brings up a version of, how dare you question my son like there? My son's the smartest person. I have. You know? um, and what's interesting is that some of the articles, one in the New Yorker, another one in Politico, had raised the point, like, there were people in the Obama White House whose job was to sniff out these sorts of ethical problems before they turned into giant scandals who saw this. And I think particularly it was the Gazprom or the, uh, the Ukrainian gas uh, company where they're like, okay, this, this is really going to look bad. We got, you know, and they would try to bring this up with Biden, and even to other Obama officials, Biden would play the insulted, outraged dad. How dare you question the integrity of my son? Blah, 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 blah. Now, you know, I, one of the things about it, I, I saw this and I was reminded of a section of Jody Cantor's book called The Obamas. Uh, it came out in like 2011, 2000. It was in the first term. And it was this, you know, it, it full of original reporting. And the idea was kind of just like you know, what life was like for the Obamas in the White House. And it was not always entirely flattering. But one of the, the kind of the interesting details is that apparently when Obama got elected to the Senate, they said to, you know, he and, and Michelle went to the girls and they said, look, you can make friends, but we have to be careful about who our friends are from here on out. That, you know, daddy's famous now. People who we have, you know, we have existing friends, but people who suddenly come along and really want to be our friends might want something from us. They might not be genuine friends. And I just remember thinking, God, that's a, that's a hell of a thing to kind of, you know, tell to two daughters who were still pretty darn young at that time. Um, but they, it was, I, I, I rec- salute them for at least having some awareness of the fact that once you become a powerful politician, everybody looks at you differently. Everybody treats you differently and everybody goes out of their way to help you with the expectation that at some point in the future, you as their buddy will be willing or happy to help them out in some way, usually involving your job. What's bizarre about Joe Biden is that the entire time he has just been, he's, you know, for, for whatever, you know, uh, uh, whatever other you know, strengths he has, Biden has just been like, not just blind, like he's blind and then he puts on a blindfold and then he puts on a, a helmet and then he goes into a box and then he puts earmuffs over like he, he wants nothing. He refuses to see any possibility of this. And so now you've got this situation in which we've, we've talked about Hunter Biden a bunch of times, messed up guy, all kinds of problems in life. You can mock him. You can also feel, I think probably feel sorry for him. Um, he's the idiot son of a politician and he clearly has, all kinds of addiction issues, all kinds of stuff like that. But so now he does this. He says, oh, I'm going to paint 
and maybe people will spend $75,000 to a half million dollars for my pay, which is, you know, again, like, you know, by the way, if you looked at them, they're finger painting, okay? There, there's absolutely nothing of, of particular quality about them. And this is the most glaring situation. But, you know, here's the thing. If you're Hunter Biden, people have always given him little work or no work jobs throughout the, his entire career because of who his name was. He was a lobbyist and he totally never lobbied his father, he just lobbied his father's friends in the U.S. Senate, right? All these kinds of, he's had all of these arrangements going back for decades. So now he's got a new grift, a new scam. And the way irony is the White House thinks, oh, but you know how we solve this is we keep the donors anonymous so that not even Hunter Biden knows who spent $75,000 or $500,000 to buy his paintings. Well, one, like once you've bought, well, once you've shelled down that, you know, significant five figure to half million sum uh, to, to buy one. Well, there's no guarantee that the buyer won't suddenly, you know, figure out some way to reach out to Hunter Bud and say, oh, I love your artwork. The, the way you use the finger paint this is amazing. Oh, by the way, I'm the one who spent a half million on uh, the, the red one. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I just, I, you know, I got an issue with uh, the Foreign Trade Commission or I, I kind of could use something. Um, there's this regulation that's a pain. I need a, an exemption on the, you know, all kinds of things. There's all kinds of, you know, favor somebody could need from the Biden administration. And Hunter Biden, you know, again, do you think these Chinese investors thought that Hunter Biden was genuinely a financial genius? Do you think that all of these other, you know, do you think that the, uh, the, you know, the Ukrainian natural gas company really thought that Hunter Biden was a pipeline expert who could really help them on the, you know, it's some, nobody in their right mind thinks it's the only thing that makes Hunter Biden's paintings worth that kind of money is because he's the president's son. And because people think by developing a relationship with him, they can develop a relationship with his father. Um, it is egregious. It is ridiculous. You don't have to find hard to find people who are otherwise friendly to the Biden administration who say this stinks to high heaven. I hope this policy gets changed. And I, I hope ideally nobody does this. And I, hope, I, I really would love to see Hunter Biden figure out a way to get his life together. And by the way, for a guy who's talked very openly about his really intense, overwhelming addiction issues, I don't think, Greg, that sending large checks of 75 grand to a half million dollars, like, does that seem like a good way to keep a former a recovering addict on the straight and narrow? Uh, or does that sound like, oh, 300 grand? Great. That's going straight up my nose. I hope that's not the case. I'm sorry I'm cynical, but like, that doesn't, this doesn't seem like a good, you know, a good situation uh, of getting him away from bad habits that have, uh, caused him major problems in his life. And the fact that nobody around Hunter Biden can look at this and say, dude, this is not what you need. You want to do art therapy, fine, but don't turn around and say, oh, this is a way to make lots of money. Uh, it doesn't seem like a good way to, to, you know, keep him on the straight and narrow. But hey, you know what? At least it's Friday, Greg. It is. I'm trying to figure out like the way the media is going to handle this. For the most part, they could either A, ignore it, B, praise the non-disclosure policy as uh, a sign that the Biden administration is super duper ethical, or C, going full out and finding someone to talk about the artistic genius of Hunter Biden. Somebody might do that. Um, the other thing that kind of jumped to, that jumps to mind is, look, it's, I would say that most of the media coverage of Hunter Biden, it's, it's certainly, okay, actually he does get some softball interviews. On the book tour, he got ludicrous softball interviews and stuff like that. You can find critical coverage of this story and of other issues. The, the big New Yorker profile was not, certainly was not afraid to look at the sordid aspects of his life um, and ethics, you know, questions and things like that. But it certainly, it certainly isn't like the drumbeat, the dump, the dump, the dump you got during the Trump administration. It certainly is not, you know, like, 
I think the, the, the way most people handle it is check the box journalism. You'll see a critical article about it. Look, there was a New York Post, or there, sorry, there was a Washington Post that had a big story about this. I don't know if it's on the front page, but they covered it. But it's not going to be part one of a seven-part series in the conflicts of interest in, in you know, Hunter Biden's life right now. So I think that's what it's going to be. It'll be a minor kerfuffle for the Biden administration, but it'll be, you know, mild compared to, you know, you know the border or Afghanistan or inflation or all the other things that seem to be going wrong these days. Oh, yeah. If Hunter Biden had all the same issues but was a Trump child, he'd have a camera crew in his face 24 hours a day. No question about it. But, Jim, I like the point you made earlier. It's Friday. So let's go out and enjoy it. Have a great weekend. And we'll uh, reconvene on Monday. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great weekend, everyone, and please join us again on Monday for the next 3 Martini Lunch. We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion, there are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. Please join me at thebillwaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right, and what's next.